So following that theme here, I'm going to share a little story about my childhood. <laughs> um, no, one, one of my uh, favorite books as a young uh, boy was called The Whipping Boy uh, by Sid Fleischman. And in the story, the basic of the story, it's, it's kind of a medieval fiction, and, and there is this bratty young prince, and princes are royalty. They can't be spanked or punished. You can't touch them. So the family fosters this orphan boy. They basically they take him into the home. They, they provide for his education and, and daily care, but he's, he's going to be the whipping boy for the prince. So whenever the prince does something horrible, does anything wrong, it's the whipping boy who gets spanked. That's his whole purpose in life, is to be the whipping boy in this family for the prince. Now, and of course, in the story, they, the boys run away. They have all these adventures. They get in trouble. It all works out in the end, and, and they learn a lot of valuable character lessons. But, but the main relevant idea is this, is this idea that, well, can your guilt be passed to someone else? Can, can you trade your guilt away? And uh, our, our text today is about the trial of Jesus and the release of Barabbas. And very quickly, we, we see this trial is horribly unjust. It's unjust in every way. Jesus is clearly the perfectly innocent person in this trial, and yet he becomes the whipping boy, not just for Barabbas, but for the Jews, for the Romans, for the whole world, even for the guilt of your sins. And so we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. And before we read God's word, let's pray. Dear Lord, um, we thank you uh, that these events, life of your son and what he did for us have been recorded in the gospels for us to, to read and to hear and to know. Um, and they've been given for us so that we may know that Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the innocent one who was mistreated and received every injustice, but he did this for us so that we might be spared the just punishment we deserve and be set free to live in your love and mercy and, and to be right with you. And pray that we just hear these words and take them to heart and receive them and that our faith in you and what you've done for us would grow and our understanding of you and all that you have done for us would grow. Um, that we love you more deeply and trust you more fully and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus, each day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking, sorry, in verse 15, Matthew 26, verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ. We'll stop right there. Um, so if we look at the other gospel accounts, we get the full picture of why Barabbas was so notorious. We're told he was a robber, a murderer, and an insurrectionist. 
So in, in short, he respected nothing. He did not res had no respect for property. There's no institution he respected. He did not even respect life. His guilt is unquestionable. He is a danger to all society, not just to Rome, but to the Jews. He's a danger to them as well. So no one wants him loose on the street. And now Pilate here, he, he gave, gives the people two choices. And I don't know if two choices was according to custom or not. Um, but he gives them, here's who you can release. You can release this perfectly harmless, innocent man. <laughs> or you can release this notorious, murderous criminal. Who do you want to release? And uh, the Gospels tell us, uh, uh, they comment on Pilate's intentions and what's going on inside his mind. He, he finds nothing wrong with Jesus, so he's, he's seeking to have Jesus released. He, he sought to release him. But for some reason, he will not make the decision himself. He could make the decision himself. He is judge and jury. He, this is his trial and there, there's no jury. He is judge. He is jury. He's got a legion of soldiers to enforce his decision. But for some reason, he will not make that decision himself. He, it appears that he wants the Jews to agree to Jesus' release. And, and this is probably, uh, we, we see it in the text, that he's aware of the crowd. He does not want a riot to happen. Um, so this, this appears to be the reason why. He wants them to agree to the release. And, and maybe he thought by giving them these two options, he's, he's limiting their choices. He's going to control the choice. But the reality, he actually, by presenting Jesus as a choice to the crowd at all, he's actually losing. He's giving up control of the situation. Because he's, he's giving the crowd control over what happens to Jesus. And... and he gave them the choice to release a prisoner. And, and it seems to, that the ch choice should be obvious because they will obviously choose to release Jesus because choosing to release the, the dangerous criminal and murderer Barabbas is just, it's obviously unjust and it's bad for everyone. Pilate, it seems, they did not expect that they would release Barabbas he expected the crowd would have sympathy for Jesus because he knew it was only the leaders who hated Jesus. And, and the next verse tells us this, verse 18. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So G the Pilate knew of the Pharisees' envy of Jesus. He knew their hatred toward him was based on envy. Now a little review, envy. What is this vice? It's a little different than jealousy. They're often paired up, but they are different. Envy sees the good that, that someone else has, and it resents that other person for having that good. And so and it seeks to make that good thing its own at the loss or even the destruction of the other person. That's envy. And so envy is a, is a sinful heart condition. We can see what a, a vice it is. And this verse here, it tells us a lot, actually. It tells us that, that Pilate was aware of the events in the city and, and probably the whole 
region. He was aware. He had, so he had heard of Jesus before. He was aware of the Pharisees' attitude towards Jesus. He was aware of this before the trial. And we look through the Gospels, we see the Pharisees, they were envious and threatened by the large crowd that followed Jesus. Uh, but they were also really resented him because every time they tried to confront him, they would regularly try to confront Jesus. They would try to trap him in his words, trap him in false teaching. And every time they confront him, Jesus corrects them with Scripture. So the more they tried to trap him, the more they were humiliated. And the resentment and envy of Jesus just grows. Pilate knew of the Pharisees' envy, and he did not believe the crowd shared their murderous intent. Because as I said, his intention, he's seeking Jesus' release, so his, his intent in putting forth this decision is to get Jesus released. So he, he doesn't think they would do it. Condemn Jesus. But he's got, um, he's got another reason, too, we're told here, to not condemn Jesus. Verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And just looking at the, the counseling situation going here, I think maybe many, many of us can relate to the, the marital counseling <laughs> coming going on here. Because often in life there are things we are blind to, but our spouse can see them. And God's made it clear to them, and it's wise of us to listen. And in this case, uh, the, the implication is that God sent this dream to Pilate's wife. So this, this was a supernatural sign that Jesus truly was righteous. If Pilate had any doubts, here's this supernatural sign from the person closest to him. But it's also a warning. It's saying, don't commit the injustice of condemning this man. Don't put yourself in that situation. And what this means is that God, if God sent the dream, then what this means is that God loved Pilate enough to warn him. That's how much God loves us and loves lost sinners. So even though God, God planned that Jesus would be crucified for the sins of the wicked, our sins, and he did this because, the Bible tells us, God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but he desires that all people be saved. And here this is demonstrated. <laughs> that includes those who condemned Jesus to death, those who carried out the execution. God wants them to be saved. And we see this in this dream. God loved Pilate and did not wish for him to condemn himself by participating in this injustice. God's love is ongoing throughout and present in all these events. But things have moved out of Pilate's control. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And so here, here it says the word persuaded. Mark's gospel adds the word incited. 
That means to, to raise outrage. They incited the crowd to outrage. And what a warning this is to all of us. We do not underestimate how easily we can be misled into outrage that commits evil. You must know the truth for yourself. You must be in God's word for yourself because then you can test those you listen to and where they are leading you. And so Pilate, hearing the crowd, he wants your final answer. Tell me for real. <laughs> Verse 21 and 22. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And Pilate appears to be dumbfounded, in shock. It appears he had not planned for this. Now as judge, he still had control of Jesus' fate. He, he still has the final say about what happens to Jesus. But instead, as he's so shocked, he gives up more control. He asks the crowd what he should do with Jesus. And to his shock, and again, they call for the most unjust thing, the death of an innocent man. And hearing this, this sentence of death, Pilate appears more shocked. Verse 23, and he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So Pilate can clearly see the injustice. It's, it's clear Pilate could see the injustice of this situation. But he's already lost control. And he, so he tries to reason with them. What has he done? And we see when we compare with, with John's gospel, uh, he tried to pacify the crowd by having Jesus scourged and whipped and beaten. Not good enough. The more he tried to let Jesus go, the more outraged the crowd became. And the more passionately they sought his death than Pilate could tell. Verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You see to it. See to it yourselves. And he, this really gets to the central question of this sermon. Can guilt be passed to others? Pilate surely hopes so. He did not want to be guilty of condemning an innocent man, possibly a holy man, to death. But he wasn't willing to sacrifice for it. He wasn't willing to risk civil unrest to uphold justice. So he tried to pass the guilt to others. And he performed a simple ceremony. He washed his hands in a bowl of water as if washing the guilt away from himself. And then he publicly declared himself innocent of Jesus' death. 
And then he publicly asked the Jews, see to it yourselves. In other words, do you take responsibility for condemning this man? That's what he means here. And, and now when, if, if we step back, just consider the situation here. It, it's ridiculous. Whoever heard of, of a person declaring themselves, legally declaring themselves innocent. Now, all of us claim to be innocent, but claiming to be innocent is different than legally declaring yourself innocent. No one can legally declare themselves innocent because if you could, everyone would do it and, and no justice would ever be done. But th this is even worse because this is a judge using his office to declare himself innocent. And it's ludicrous because he won't make a declaration about Jesus, the man who's actually on trial. Pilate won't judge him. And now Pilate is, he is knee deep in this injustice now. And so the one thing he won't do for this guy, he, he, instead he declares a declaration of innocence over himself. He tried to exonerate himself. But no matter what ceremony he did, he cannot place his guilt on the crowd. God will judge him according to his own deeds. And the crowd will be judged for theirs and we will be judged for ours. Verse 25. Apparently the people are eager for this judgment. All the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So Pilate asked if they will publicly, legally, accept responsibility for this decision. And they said, yes. Without hesitation, they accept all responsibility and consequences for this injustice. And not only that, they take it a step further, they, they accept it upon their children. And, and I think it appropriate to pause to answer an important question here. It's a a side question from our, our main message today, but it's an important one. And the question is, does this curse remain upon the Jews? And the simple answer is no. And I know all of you, I'm, I'm confident all of you here agree with that, but I also know we're, we're recorded and there's people out there listening to this who would, might benefit from this clarification here. Because they are calling a curse upon themselves for this. And... For nearly 2,000 years, history might have suggested that, that it was so, because in AD 70, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. The Jewish people were scattered all over the world. And unfortunately, throughout many points in history, malicious people use verses like these and others as an excuse for anti-Semitism, an excuse to persecute the Jews. And I'll say emphatically that this verse does not mean that there is any curse upon the Jews. And, it, and it's simple enough to walk through and demonstrate why that is so. The crowd, the people present in that crowd on that day were guilty of their part in the injustice, but nothing more. But, but that guilt is enough for them. That's guilty enough. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 23, Peter spoke to those Jews mere months after the crucifixion. And he says, this Jesus, 
you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So yeah, sure, the Romans drove the nails into the hands. But Peter's saying to the crowd, you crucified him. You are guilty of that. And he says this again to a, a, a similar crowd in Acts 3, starting verse 13. You delivered Jesus over. You denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer instead. You killed the author of life. So that crowd on that day, they were guilty of the injustice of Jesus' death. But Peter adds in, in Acts 3.17, Brothers, I know you did this in ignorance. And there's maybe sympathy there for that ignorance, but that ignorance does not clear them of the guilt. They are, he's still treating them clearly as guilty. He says, in other words, you, you didn't know you were condemning the Christ. But even though they were ignorant that Jesus was the Christ, they were still guilty for their part in the injustice. But how does God, through Peter, treat them on that day? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what can we conclude from this? Pilate's guilt was not upon them, but their own guilt was. But even that guilt could be forgiven if they would repent and receive mercy through Jesus Christ. Pilate could not trade his guilt away. There's our connection back to our, our core question. Can guilt be passed on? And Pilate could not trade his guilt away. Each person must face judgment for their own actions. And in the case of this trial before Pilate, neither Barabbas nor Jesus received justice for their actions. Verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So Barabbas was exonerated and released, and Jesus was condemned and crucified. And this exchange points ahead to what Jesus did for everyone when he died on the cross. Barabbas was not the only guilty person freed when Jesus was condemned. Every person, every one of us may be released from our guilt by Jesus' death on the cross. The Apostle Peter said in Acts 10, 42, And he, God, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So each person is liable to face God's judgment. Each of us has guilt to answer for. Jesus is the only one who had no guilt 
Now, every one of it, we're guilty for something. And now, many people they will think to themselves, hey, well, my guilt is not like Barabbas. I'm not, I'm not an insurrectionist. I'm not trying to burn down the system. But Scripture tells us we are like him in our hearts when we rebel against God, when we rebel against, when we reject his word and his ways because we want to do things our way. And this form of rebellious sin, or this form of rebellion is sin in the heart. And, and listen here to what the prophet Samuel said to King Saul about Saul's heart. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is seeking to know the future through witchcraft. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So God takes rebellion very seriously. It's idolatry. It's making yourself God. So sometimes we, we are like, pretty much every time we sin, we are like Barabbas in that rebellious heart. And sometimes we are like Pilate in our sin. We, we fall short of the mark. We, we have good intentions, but we do not finish well. In fact, we, we end up in sin. And no matter how good your, ten, your intentions are, when you commit sin, you're guilty for the sin you commit. And, and there's a lot of confused people out there who, who, when they are confronted with the ways that they have hurt and betrayed those around them, they'll, they'll cry out, you know, I'm sorry, you know, this isn't what I wanted. I just couldn't stop myself. And think about that. What a sad commentary. I mean, how, how sick must your heart be when, despite your good intentions, you can't stop hurting and betraying those around you? Falling short of those good intentions, it's still, you still, you're committing sin. You're guilty of that sin. Pilate was unwilling to make personal sacrifices for justice. And he condemned himself by committing injustice. And likewise, when we fail to hold on to what is good and true, but allow ourselves to be led into committing sin, we condemn ourselves. And sometimes our sin is like the Sanhedrin. Our hearts are sick with vices like envy or like anger. And here's what Jesus said about anger in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So anger that wishes for someone's death or destruction or downfall, that type of anger condemns the heart as wicked just as much as murder condemns actions as wicked. And other times our sin and our sin were like the crowd. 
misled into committing injustice against others, deceived. And in all these ways and in many others, we condemn ourselves with our guilt. And people try all sorts of ways of ridding themselves of their guilt, all the same ways over and over again. We all try the same ways. We try to convince ourselves that it wasn't technically wrong or that it wasn't wrong when it's committed against that person. Or we claim ignorance. Or we try to make up for it with good deeds. Or we try to pass the guilt and blame to someone else, like Pilate did. But there's only one way to be rid of your guilt. You must receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God accepted him as bearing the guilt of us all. And scripture here, some scriptures that tell us this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, meaning the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And 1 John 2, verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And Romans 4, starting verse 24, Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. On the cross, Jesus took your guilt upon himself so that you might receive forgiveness for all your sins. And you receive this forgiveness by faith in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So to receive this, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for your sins, and that for his sake, God forgives you. And these are essential because this salvation was accomplished by Jesus. So apart from him, it does not exist. And if he is not the Christ, then his death accomplished nothing at all. And all the gospels are eyewitness that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And the Christ died in your place for your sins to remove your guilt. And when you confess your sins to God, you receive forgiveness from God for Jesus' sake. And when you receive forgiveness from God in Christ, you also receive the freedom and power to live in righteousness because now his spirit lives in you. Here's what Galatians 5 verse 1 says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
So every one of us, you are a sinner set free. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of this every day. And we don't use this, this freedom we have now to just serve our selfishness or to, to enslave ourselves to sin again. Instead, we rejoice in this freedom to seek and do righteousness. And we look at, at God's love for you in Jesus Christ and in his love for you. In return, love Jesus. Love him, the one who set you free from your guilt and sin. And we stay connected with our Savior through his word and through prayer and through fellowship with other believers. And our response then is, is point others to him and to the freedom he brings. Use that freedom to sacrificially serve the needs as others, of serve the needs of others. Just as Jesus sacrificially intervened in your life to save you. And most of all, best of all, every day, praise God for his mercy to us in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for offering up your son, submitting him to the injustice in our world and the sin and, and the, the consequences and destruction of our sin and guilt and submitting him to all these things um, and conquering them through his resurrection so that we might receive freedom from our guilt through him but also that we have your spirit now in us and power against sin and power to live for righteousness and to follow you and to love you and serve you to grow in grace and truth through your son, Jesus Christ. And pray that you would deepen our love for him today and our faith and trust in him um, so that we may be your disciples and grow up into all that you desire for us. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.